The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go beyond reality. Welcome to the program. We are ready to start another week. Hope you are, too. We've got a really good show ready for you tonight. In fact, we're going to be talking with a returning guest, Steve Ubaney. He'll be talking about his Who Murdered book series. I think the, when he was on last time, we were talking with to him about uh, Who Murdered Elvis. He's written other books, including the one we're going to be talking about tonight, Who Murdered FDR. This is a really important moment in American history, and the official accounts are that FDR died of natural causes, just before the end of World War II, in fact. But Steve has a different theory, and he presents the ideas and the evidence in tonight's conversation. Looking forward to that. We also have a lot of great uh, guests coming up on the program, too. Tomorrow night, Chris James will be here to talk about Haunted Fort McIntosh, and he'll start the program, and then Bernie Taylor, who's also a returning guest, will come on and talk about heaven and hell. Dina Ray will be with us Wednesday night. She's going to talk about the New World Order, which is a particularly interesting conversation as we get into this whole coronavirus discussion with China and uh, the aftermath. The world's going to be very, very different after this thing clears up. And the New World Order may be part of that. So Dina Ray will talk about that Wednesday night. And then Thursday, Lisa Campion will be a returning guest as well. She'll be talking about mysticism here on the program. So as you can see, a lot of great stuff coming up on the show. Uh, a couple things I'd like you to do. Go to YouTube and subscribe to our channel. Looking forward to uh, reaching a few milestones there. So please come um, subscribe. There's no fee. Just go to YouTube, search for JV Johnson. It's very, very easy to find, and you will uh, you'll be able to subscribe and access all our back episodes, like five hundred of them. There, a real archive of stuff. Uh, what else? Of course, Facebook is always a great place for you to uh, keep track of what we've got going on. Beyond Reality Radio is our Facebook page. Plus, mine, JV Johnson. Find that as well. Follow both of them, and um, look forward to keeping you all informed with all of that. Um, I, that's all we've got to talk about here. Let's go to break, and when we come back, we'll bring our guest in. Again, tonight we're talking with Steve Ubaney. He's an author, and we're going to be talking about his book from his Who Murdered book series. The book is Who Murdered FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. That's tonight's program on Beyond Reality. We'll be right back. Please support the program. Go to patreon.com slash Joha. That's J-O-H-A-W. Anyway, welcome back. We've got a great show lined up for you tonight. It's always fun to bring a good guest back to the program, and that's what we're doing tonight. Tonight, Steve Ubaney is joining us again. He is an author. He's written a series of books called The Who Murdered series. Including Included in that series is a book we talked about, I don't know when it was. It was a little while ago, but we talked about it, Who Murdered Elvis. That was a lot of fun. And tonight we're going to be talking about another book in that series, Who Murdered FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, of course, we're talking about um, 32nd president of the United States, and we'll get into that. But, Steve, welcome back to Beyond Reality. It's great to have you back with us. Hi, it's an honor to be back on your show. So, um, you know, it's always good to start with some basics. And one of the first questions I have here, when we look at this series of books that you've uh, started to write, I think you've you've got a few completed in the series and some others planned. Um, you know, the first question is, at what point... Did you become so curious with these topics you decided to write books about them? You know, that's a really good question. Um, as we go through our lives, we you, know, you go through middle school and high school and you, you know, in college, some of us go to college, some of us don't. I went to too much college. <laughs> and you have to write down on the piece of paper the answer that they want to these historical questions. And I, I, I always knew that some of these things just didn't ring true. And... Um, FDR was one of them. I thought it was just too coincidental that um, FDR died mysteriously as Allied troops were storming Hitler's bunker. I thought that was a little too convenient. I also thought it was too convenient that Hitler, Mussolini, and FDR all died within a span of 18 days. A little convenient for me. So, I mean, I gave them the answer they wanted. I was a really good student. But I always said, you know what, one day I'm going to look into this. Because it doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up. You can forget all the propaganda and all the fanfare. Facts have to agree. You can you can pervert a lot of things. Um, you can't per pervert facts. You can't pervert uh, numbers. Two and two can only equal four. 
facts can only equal the truth if they're real facts. So I'm kind of a history detective. When when something happens, we have a big event like the Princess Diana crash. I'm, my next book out is Who Murdered Diana, so you can pre-order that book on my website. Um, when, when something big happens, like Diana dies or Elvis dies or, or a president dies or something like that, you have everyone is scrambling around for information. You know, what happened, and everybody's just clamoring for information. And it's all tightly held, and no one's talking. But as the decades go by, and people aren't looking anymore. Documents become declassified. You have deathbed confessions. In the case of FDR, one of his favorite cousins, Daisy, Daisy Suckley, um, released her diary. And uh, I'll get into that a little bit later on. And basically said FDR was being poisoned. So I'm one of these people who look long after people have stopped looking. And it's amazing what you find. This was important. It's really, really important. Some people say, oh, it's history, it's so important. It actually, it's very, very fascinating. So um, that's one of the things that got me going into the Who Murdered book series. And, um, you know, here we are. I'm going to have, uh, I did two books on Elvis, part one, part two, because the story just continued to grow. And this is... Um, Rumored Elvis one was the first volume, and then the FDR one we're talking about tonight, and then Rumored Rumored Elvis two came out in 2018, and I'm very very close to publishing Rumored Diana, so you can print over that book on my website. Don't go to Amazon, you know <laughs> it's too much money there. The better deal is on my website. Um, go to whomurderedbooks.com, all lowercase one word, whomurderedbooks.com. And, you know, you can order my books. They're much cheaper than Amazon. Amazon doesn't need your money. Okay? I get enough damn money. Save your money. Go to my website. Order the books there. And you can pre-order Who um, Murdered Diana. You should be up here in the summer. But anyway, long story short, that's what scratches my itch. I like to uncover history that has been lost. And it, it's a fascinating ride. Yeah, and really I, I think too many people... Uh, go into a classroom, regardless of whether that classroom is a high school classroom, even an elementary classroom or a college classroom. They take uh, the information that's being given to them uh, and just assume it's all accurate and it's all gospel in some ways. And very rarely will they actually question it. But it's funny when you start to question some of these things. Anyway, not not all of them. Clearly, a lot of what we're taught is actual, is factual and, and actual. Uh, but some of it, there's some gray area. And they don't present it with any gray area. They just present it as fact. And, and it's that curiosity that people like you, Steve, have that helps us uh, uncover some truths that we may not otherwise have found. That's that's very true, and I do, and I, I probably invented this. I don't know. Maybe somebody else came up with it, but I do this thing called the five times rule. I get something that doesn't make sense in my mind, and I ask why, and then <laughs> I ask, you know, I come up with the answer and I ask why, and I come up with that answer and I ask why, and I come up with come up with that answer and ask why again. You do that five times. You get to the bottom of just about everything, and this is what I do in my in my books. I write about the five times rule in in my books, and uh, it's it's been some fascinating research. I mean, these aren't books that I just write willy nilly. It takes me all my own writing. I don't have ghost writers. I do all my own research. It takes me almost four years to come up with a book. Wow, it's that much research, and um, it's I got my hands full, pal. Yeah, no, no. These these are not small projects to undertake by any means. I mean, you're talking about some major historical figures whose deaths were not only mysterious, but certainly um, the mysterious component of it is somehow shrouded in secrecy. So finding information uh, under those terms is difficult to begin with. Um, but how did you come up with the list of people that you decided you were going to write about? What what do you do when you go through historical events and say, oh, that death looks a little bit odd to me. We should take a look at that one. These are things that I came up with decades ago, and I always had them in the back of my mind. You know, someday I'll get to this. You know, 
people other people make other lists. You know, they have bucket lists for for different things. Someday I'm going to rock climb or whatever. I'm going to go to the Bahamas or whatever. Everybody's list is different, and I always it's just whatever whatever fascinated me when I was a kid, and um, I I just never believed some of these things, and it's so. It has to do with piquing my interest, and I like to write about things that no one writes about. Okay, who murdered Elvis? You can forget all the smiles and the fanfare and all the tremendously great music and everything. What was going on behind the scenes with his manager being in the mob and Elvis being in the FBI? That's not going to end well. So, I mean, there was a lot of, and of course, he was the Memphis Mafia was all around that protecting it. This was no social media. Nothing got out from Elvis's uh, influence. Nothing got into Elvis. So this is why the fascination with Elvis continues. And um, I, there was like 45 factual sources in that book, The Government Documents. And I'll tell you, in all of my books, I'll bring the suspects in, and I'll run them right through the motive, the means, and the opportunity. And I will not only tell you who murdered them, I'll tell you how they murdered them and how they got away with it. And it's it's you know, and this has got some people interested now in uh, in doing these into uh, episodes for Hulu or whatever. So yeah, uh, it's, it's it's an interesting ride. Yeah, that it really has been. that was good. Case- that was going to be another point I was going to make and ask you about. In fact, uh, it's, there seems to be a real fascination with true crime and uh, cr- uh, murder that seems to have some conspiracy associated with it. A lot of people are consuming, whether it's Hulu or Netflix or or whatever it happens to be, series about these topics. Uh, is this a new appetite, or do you think that uh, that maybe uh, pop culture entertainment has finally struck a nerve with people? I think it's all the above. I think that, uh, you know, well, FDR has been gone 75 years here this year. Right. Um, so, I mean, we're, we're getting quite past. And I think that, you know, to a point, everything old is new again. I think that we're coming into a time where we're starting to question things and even re-question and re-re-question things. And, you know, things just are not as we were told. Uh, and, and I think that we're beyond the Easter Bunny story now. You know, people, <laughs> there's a, you know, <laughs> there's a burning desire within every human being. We still like truth, justice, and the American way. We still like that, if as though those three go together. But, you know what I mean, everybody, you know, everybody wants the truth, you know. And I always say, my kind of my slogan is, um, the truth might hurt, but it should never be hidden. And I like to make sure that it never will be. So that's what I tell people, and my books will punch you in the face. It, these are not tiny little books, you know. I mean, they're, they're hard to put down. So um, let's dig into the FDR thing. Um, everybody was told that you know, he died at the advance of, of his polio, and, and uh, he had some very interesting doctors. Um, he had, uh, of course, he was a Navy man. He was assistant secretary of the Navy. But he, he trusted the Navy very, very much. So he had uh, Admiral, Admiral, <laughs> Admiral Ross McIntyre. Try that sometime. That's a for you. He was the, uh, the White House physician. Um, he was a vice admiral and the Surgeon General of the Navy. And he was FDR's personal physician from 1932 to when he died in 1945. He ended up writing the book in 1946, The White House Physician. And... Uh, pretty interesting and colorful guy, which we'll come back to. It's interesting to describe who these people are, so it makes sense when I, you know, when I, I get further into this. Dr. Howard Bruin, he was a, he was a lieutenant commander in the Navy. Again, a Navy guy. He was FDR's cardiologist, personal physician. He had a string of them. Um, he was uh, the chief of cardiology at Bethesda. Magical things happen at Bethesda for you JFK people out there. You know what I'm talking about, okay? <laughs> um, JFK's brain magically right. uh, disappeared. That's right. Uh, and it's never been seen again. And his face, uh, uh, I'm sorry, JFK's face magically regenerated itself from the side shot. How very interesting. So magic things happen at Bethesda. And I'll come back to Bethesda a little bit later on. Um, Howard Bruin was uh, 
present at Warm Springs, Georgia, when FDR was murdered, and he was murdered. Um, Dr. James Pollan was an Atlanta physician who was summoned to Warm Springs when FDR died, and uh, he was the one to help determine the cause of death. He did die of a cerebral hemorrhage, but it was not of natural causes. FDR was being slowly poisoned from within the White House. And I know when I say that, people go, how can you possibly say that? Yeah. It's true. Okay. Um, There were people surrounding him who were not exactly friendly to him. And there were spies from every direction who had infiltrated the White House. Not everyone. I know history paints this broad, loving brush of FDR being this grandfather giving out free money and everybody loved him. A lot of people hated FDR, um, especially when he's the leader of one of the biggest nations in the world in the biggest war in the world. So, you know, you talk about you talk about poisonings in history. Um, you know, we'll get to that a little bit later on. But I mean, all leaders who have gone through wars, they've they've fought poisonings. Uh, so, FDR's doctors were baffled. They had no idea what was wrong with this guy. You know, obviously, he had you know his his problem with his legs and stuff. But you know, he always he always maintained reasonably good health. You know, he was not in frail health, with the exception of being deprived of the use of his legs. And um, they got to the point where the medicines that they were administering to him weren't working. And after mealtimes, he would fall deathly ill. And he would, you know, his, his health was constantly in this bipolar schism. You know, he went from, you know, this twinkling-eyed, um, you know, snappy, quick-witted Roosevelt to this frail person who was near death running a temperature and they couldn't figure out what the hell was wrong with this guy so they take him all the doctors are baffled now this is the era of the waltons okay um the doctor on walton's mountain mountain back then this is the era of the waltons the doctor on walton's mountain probably wouldn't have been able to figure this out either so they take him to the doctor of the day dr frank Leahy world-renowned surgeon, teacher, medical administrator, and he went on to be the founder of the Leahy Clinic in Boston in 1923, which is still a fantastic facility up and running. Um, They take him and say, what is wrong with this guy? We have no idea what's wrong with him. So they used 1944, March of 1944, and... Frank Leahy examines him, and in your research, every now and then you get lucky. And I got lucky. Uh, symptoms that were published by the History Channel in 2011, the laundry list of symptoms that they said FDR was suffering from did not align with the advance of polio. They aligned with the advance of poisoning. So... Every now and then you get lucky. So um, Dr. Leahy, you know, his memo was released in the history channel. You can go look it up. And further digging at the FDR library in um, Hyde Park, New York, which I basically lived at going through, going through this, uh, uh, researching this, this incredible thing um, that I was researching, uh, it, it will spell out exactly what they are. He did not die from the advance of poisoning. Or from the advance of polio, really. Uh, and there were other were other stories. Someone wrote a book that he had a dot over his uh, over his um, eyebrows that was cancerous and it was creating all these problems. Well, I've known enough people who have passed away from cancer. Unfortunately, they tend to just fade away and die. They don't go bouncing back and forth. You know, um, it's a great theory. It was written by doctors. I'm sure if indeed he had that that would have been the case doesn't align with the symptoms outlined in Dr. Leahy's, uh, Dr. Leahy's uh, memo. So, you know, 1943 at the Tarai conference, I put these pictures out of my book. I want people to, we're losing this history. We need to keep this history going. Okay. They're not being caught anymore. You look at the pictures of the FDR at the Tarai conference, you know, you can tell he's quick-witted and sharp and he's right on it. 
combine that uh, 28 months later with the Alta conference, yeah. he's basically a corpse. He's a walking, well, not walking, but he's a breathing corpse. Yeah, the last, from and, from that point on, and actually a little, a little earlier than that, but you can certainly see it in the Yalta pictures and any appearance he made, which were rare after that, um, he does not look well. Uh, he And as you you said, he looks like a corpse. He really does look corpse-like. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's really a shame um, that someone from within our, Secret Service was extraordinarily lax, and it's unfortunate that that it was that way. FDR died in the presence of two Russian spies, and no one talks about it. And, you know, well, that's... they have two people in there from Russia uh, who are in with the president, one painting his portrait, the other one a photographer, alone with our president in the middle of the greatest war the world's ever seen. What are they doing to him? Are they choking him? Are they poisoning him? They don't know. Who the hell is Secret Service? It's incredible to wrap your mind around. So going down the laundry list of this, um, of the uh, the symptoms, which are in my book, I won't bore you with them because, you know, I'm not going to bore you with them. Uh, I ran across um, Daisy Suckley, FDR's favorite cousin. Her name is Margaret. Exactly. He told her Daisy. And she has uh, published her diary entitled Closest Companion. And on page 203 of this diary, I'll read this for you. It's, uh, it's the president's fourth day in bed. He still feels somewhat nasty, but his fever is gone. Last Tuesday, without any warning, he fell ill at noon. Lunchtime. Here we go again. He lay on the sofa in the study until 4.30 p.m. He found he had a temperature of 102. Dr. McIntyre found, get ready for this, Dr. McIntyre found it was a toxic poisoning, but they couldn't describe anything to it. This doctor knows he's being poisoned. They can't figure it out. So they're prescribing sulfa drugs to him, which was the treatment of the day. So you have to ask yourself the question. Numerous times from 1943 to 1945, FDR has been reported being ill shortly after his death. But when he leaves the White House and he goes to Warm Springs, Georgia, he's all invigorated again. He comes back healthy. and was suspicious. So you have to ask yourself, what would they be poisoning this person with that wouldn't be detected? Well... I'll save it for the book, but I will tell you, I'll tell you the sizzle, not the state. okay? Um, we're used to thinking that the United States is the leader of the world in, in medical prowess and so forth, and today we may very well be. Uh, I think we're showing that in COVID-19 and how fast we're trying to come up with things to counteract this, this wicked virus. Back in the 1940s, that wasn't the case. Europe those countries are quite a bit older than we are. And Europe had this, determined that this common household substance was poisonous, and they banned it in 1922. Here we are. The only way we would know about this is if someone was going from our White House across to Europe and to Russia and back to our White House. There are people within the White House who are not very friendly with FDR. So, just elaborate on that just a little bit, and I'll come back to the history of poisoning. Uh, in my book, I lay out the spies that were in and around uh, FDR. The people who have tried to kill FDR, the Duquesne spy ring was a Nazi spy ring. It was the largest spy ring in American history at 33 members, and their mission was to assassinate FDR and sabotage America from the end. They ain't playing games. I mean, this is this is a pretty heavy-duty war. The outcome of the next 200 years will depend on how how um, World War II ends. That's right. So they're trying everything to kill these other leaders. Um, Operation Pastorius was also a Nazi uh, a Nazi plot, and it had eight members. And that was created after Pearl Harbor, and it attacked basically heads of state and civilian targets 
they were all discovered. They got they got, they were caught trying to kill FDR. They got the electric chair. You know, I mean, <laughs> so that means I got that. February 15th, 1933, right before FDR is taking his office. He tries to shoot FDR in Miami, misses, and kills the uh, mayor of Chicago, Anton Cermak. He gets the electric chair. Um, you know, we can go on and on and on. Hitler, he had at least 42 attempts on his life from 1943 until 1943. They were not playing games. Actually, Hitler planned what's called Operation Long Jump, and it was a plan to assassinate um, the Allied leaders, Churchill, FDR, and Stalin, at the Tehran Conference, and it was foiled by the Russians. They were the ones that figured it out. If it wasn't for Stalin and his boys being on their toes, it would have wiped out all three of them. Wow. So this is this is very interesting. So there's a real um, pattern throughout I, throughout the FDR presidency. There's a real pattern of him being in the crosshairs. They didn't want this guy dead. Churchill, too. This is my favorite story. I mean, I, 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 I laughed out loud when I, when I dug this up. I, I just I laughed out loud. This is how smart the, the Nazis were. I mean, you can say a lot of things about them, you know, mean people, evil people, whatever. They were not dumb people. They came from the depths of depression to almost world domination. These were smart folks. Yeah. So this is how they decided to get Churchill, because he was really protected. Churchill's my sixth cousin. Um, they decided to get their, their intel. He liked his cigars. He liked his chocolates. Churchill liked dark chocolate. So what they decided to do was they they made a bomb that looked like a chocolate bar. And it looked just like a chocolate bar from everything that I've been told. And I've got some people who researched it with the intel over there and the documents again are in my book. It was called Peter's Chocolate, and it had the gold foil and the, and the wrapper and everything, and it was supposed to yeah, spike all around in double agents. It was a double agent in um, Churchill's Chambers, who was slipping this in on the tray going to uh, Churchill. It was supposed to slip off the wrapper, explode, and blow his head off. True story. Wow. Exploding chocolate bars. And it almost worked. It almost worked. So, um, you know, I mean, these, these people were fending off these attacks left and right. And, of course, they didn't know about this. It takes 75 years for this research to come out. So, now, the history of poisoning. Poisoning has been used as a military weapon since around, I researched it back to 331 B.C. Everyone from the Apostle John in the Bible to Rasputin has been poisoned. <laughs> That's right. Rasputin, they did everything to him. You know, they poisoned him, they shot him, they tried to drown him. In the end, they think that finally killed Rasputin was my mother's meatloaf. Uh, <laughs> we're past Mother's Day, I can say that now. Um, but, you know, this has been going on. And on and on. Political poisonings peaked during the Italian Renaissance. So even today, the uh, our presidents have a presidential food safety team who is, is prepares all their food so they don't have any problems. So don't send brownies to the president. They're not getting that. This is serious business. When the presidents go outside of their little safe zone, so they have food tapes. And this has been going on since everyone, every U.S. president since the 1800s has had food. Well, and it's obviously anybody who knows anything about medieval history knows that kings, I mean, the the, the primary way to get uh, uh, into royalty or to get, to ascend to the throne was through murder. In most cases, those murders were uh, accomplished by poison and most uh Royalty had food tasters as well um, to make sure that uh, their food was safe. And uh, that was very, very common in the Middle Ages. Sure. Napoleon, um, Roman Emperor Claudius, Mark Antony, Cleopatra, uh, Henry VIII, uh, Lincoln. They almost got Lincoln. They were real close. Wow. So this is, this is, what, this is what flips my trigger. 
I like to dig into history that no one looks for and uncover stupid stuff. I love this stuff. I'm a history detective. This is what I do. Not really a conspiracy guy. I don't really care if the earth is flat or round. I just, I'm happy that I'm on it. Okay. Um, it's fascinating stuff. I'm not putting anyone down who investigates Bigfoot. Good for you. Um, it's fascinating for me. It's fascinating for about no, 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 an hour, 45 minutes, and then I go back to my true passion. Um, I know what conspiracies are. I know the legal definition of conspiracy, which is basically two people acting in concert to perform an act. I run across conspiracies all the time. I don't know if I label myself a conspiracy guy or not, but hey, if you want to label me that, I won't cry. I'm not with it. <laughs> but this has been going with. This has been going on since time began. Um, Turkey's eighth president was poisoned with a glass of lemonade in 1993 at the Bulgarian embassy. Died on the spot. So you fast forward to World War II, the gateway is, is wide. For all of this, I want to I talk about FDR, the man, the president, for just a minute. So people can get a, a sense of perspective uh, how his presidency was so unique in many, many ways. First of all, um, you know, he took uh, office during the depths of the Depression and he had to guide and lead America out of the Depression. And he held he, he was uh, had four terms in office, which now is is uh, unconstitutional due to the uh, the 22nd Amendment. But this was a pretty unique presidency. You know, absolutely. I'm no tremendous fan of, uh, of some of the things that were done. Um, FDR was an incredible man. In every sense of the word, historically, I mean, the guy himself was just out of this world. I mean, what a, what a fantastic guy this was. Um, he was a disciple of Woodrow Wilson's train of thought. He, he didn't like the, um, he liked the parliamentary system of government. He didn't like separate branches of government. So uh, FDR was reared in that way of thinking. And, of course, communism was the thing of the day. You know, they, uh, the people thought that, and, at the, and Stalin, this was Stalin's work. Yeah. Stalin would extend all expense paid trips to people in the media, people in academia, people in Hollywood to come over to the Soviet Union and look at you know, this, this great new system of government, this communism, where, you know, we, we escaped the... Uh, peaks and valleys of capitalism and your markets, and everyone's cared for cradle to grave. And when they went over, they were treated like royalty, and they were taken to what they called, quote-unquote, a Potemkin village, which was a phony village. They were cardboard. And they were given, um, when they left after the stay, they were given um, pamphlets and leaflets and material on how to transform America into this new, wonderful system of government called communism. And they didn't know any different. They thought they were doing the right thing. You know, they didn't know what they know today. So FDR was kind of coming to power in this new, well, being reared politically in this new system of, of um, this new ideology uh, that, was, that was happening. And they started the, uh, the CPUSA, the Communist Party of the United States of America, which is still in existence, by the way, in New York City. So if you get bored sometime, go to the CPUSA website and look at what political uh, talking points they're pushing. You might be surprised. Um, very interesting time period. So this is where FDR comes up with the New Deal, comes up with he's inspired by this new Stalinistic thing of, of government. And he's, he's a huge Stalin fan. He, of course, he does. I don't think that he really knew what a murdering monster and megalomaniac Stalin was. I think that he got the Walt Disney version. <laughs> really, of Stalin. I, I, I think that he. Really, I, uh, I, I know a lot about uh, World War II history, um, not a particularly lot about FDR himself, but enough to be a little bit dangerous. I didn't know that he was a Stalin fan. Does he express that publicly at any point? A couple of quotes in my book. Yes, he was wow. a fan of the the system of the system that he had in place with right. his people, the cradle to grave thing. Mm -hmm. He liked that very much, where mm -hmm. everyone should be cared for. So, you come back to FDR the man, 
very it's very interesting guy. Um, he is an only child who moves back to the Mayflower, much like myself, and he is raised in the lap of luxury. I mean, this is old, old money. At a time when people are bringing home 30, 40 bucks a day, his family's worth millions. And if you go to Hyde Park, New York, and you, um, which everybody should go uh, and tour the mansion, and they just redid the, the Hyde Park um, uh, Museum. And above it is the National Archives, where I changed my residence. Well, I was writing. It's a really a fascinating thing, but you start to realize what old money is. And a quarter mile down the road is the Vanderbilt Museum. This is where the old guard money was. So this is what he was raised in, silver spoon the whole way. And then he gets this polio thing, and he's paralyzed. And he's his arms or his legs. He falls off the political um, radar, and he's bedridden. And they think that's it for this guy. So out of sheer will and determination, which uh, is incredible, he has bars put in over his bed, and he manages to regain the use of his arms. So he also had parallel bars, uh, gymnast parallel bars put out on the front lawn of the mansion at uh, Hyde Park, New York, where he manages to strengthen his arms and gets them working again. Tries to do his legs, can't do it. He says he would go walking every day. What this guy did for walking was incredible. And I know I'm using that word a lot, but this is this is really raw determination. He had 12-pound steel leg braces on, and he would, quote-unquote, walk. He would drag his legs behind him for two miles every day to try and get his legs back. I mean, this is a guy you have to admire. Wow, yeah. And, of course, they never come back. So there's some true grit to this guy. When Giuseppe Bizarro, Zangara, I'm sorry, I butchered that man's last name, tries to shoot FBI before the inauguration, and he kills the uh, mayor of Chicago. FBI doesn't flinch. He grabs the bleeding mayor and pulls him aside, just like just like a war hero. Wow. This is incredible. I mean, the guy that this, this is, he's brave, incredibly uh, eloquent with his speech, um, very quick-witted. And he could talk to the common people. And they just loved it. Of course, he had a media that was fawning over him that never showed his leg races or his wheelchairs. Because back then, they thought that if someone was in a wheelchair, if there was something wrong with you physically, you had to have something wrong with you mentally. Of course, now we don't know those things. But, you know, in doing some digging into FDR, I gained a lot of respect for the man himself and what he had to go through. And some interesting parallels between FDR and Trump, actually. Now, I'm not going to get political. I don't care who you vote for. I don't care if you vote. I'm not that guy, okay? But historically, there's there's a little list here that I find pretty fascinating. Uh, both were wealthy New Yorkers. Both families made their money in real estate. Uh, both ran on a platform of trying to help the worker. Um, both had um, plans to uh, overhaul the American economy. Both went directly to the people with their message. FDR had class fireside chats. It was radio. When radio was the communication channel of the day, you know, a radio was, you know, huge. It was a huge piece of furniture. That's right, yeah. In your, in your living room. Big console. Everyone yeah. would gather around. Right. Trump uses Twitter goes directly to the people. Um, Trump was accused of Russian collusion. FDR died in the president to Russian spies. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to continue this because I could go on forever and ever because the parallels between these two are really incredible. So when you buy this book, I can sit here and tell you all day long how they killed him and who killed him. That's nice to know, but I want people to learn the history. It's important because it's not being taught anymore. And it's like dominoes in a line. You remove one domino, you remove one generation from this. There's no one going to tell you this anymore. So it's important that people learn this. So um, 
back to FDR and his death, uh, incredible stuff going on. He, uh, he's in Warm Springs, Georgia, and he's, he, the guy is, I don't even know, he, I don't even know how he was alive then. I mean, he, he just, he looked like a corpse. He looked terrible. He was gray. Uh, all symptoms of this type of poisoning. He was uh, suffering from everything, and um, he was planning a barbecue, and he was going to soak in the warm springs, and uh, he's having his portrait painted. And this is interesting. This is where the Russian spy aspect comes into play. FDR has communists and Russian Russian operatives all around him in the White House. And, you know, everyone from Harry Dexter White to Alger Hiss, we know this now. We didn't know this then. Right. So they had infiltrated the Public Welfare Committee, the U.S. Treasury. The U.S. Treasury was run by communists. That's okay? how nuts this is. The War Production Board, the Labor Advisory Board, the Department of State, the Attorney General's Office, Agricultural Adjustment Administration, uh, National Labor Relations Board, all of these these um, departments in government have been Russian and or communist infiltrated, and they were running these things. So the woman who was painting this portrait, and this is one of the ways that one of the ways they got him was. He would go to see Stalin in one of these meetings, the Tehran conference or or whatever. Stalin knew more about FDR than FDR did. He couldn't do every everything was being reported back to Stalin. As well as as well as Hitler. I mean the intel was was pretty good from what they had. So speaking of poisonings in and around uh, mysterious poisonings. On the way back from the Yalta Conference, Major General Paul Watson dies on the ship of a cerebral hemorrhage. People are having a nasty habit of dying of cerebral hemorrhages, and it's a type of poisoning that's it's creating it. FDR's personal secretary, Martin McIntyre, died in 1943 of a cerebral hemorrhage. Uh, there was, there was um, one report at the Yalta Conference. Harry Hopkins had to remove FDR from the dinner because he started to turn green, broke out in a sweat, and became violently ill. I think they were trying to poison him at the Alta Conference. Wow. And they had, to, they had to rush him off. None of this has been reported before. Some crazy person had to, had to categorize this, and then that person. So we fast forward to the day he dies. He's having his picture taken, and the two people who are having his, uh, who are having his portrait painted, the two people who were painting um, was Elizabeth Sumatov, and she was uh, she was daughter she was a daughter of Nicholas Ivanov, who was a general in the provincial army, and uh, the provincial governor government I'm sorry in Russia, and she comes to America with another high political operative, her husband, Leo. They're passing all around New York State. And they're in some variety of Russian connection because he ends up with no business experience going to work for the Sidorsky Aviation Corporation, another Russian. So in her book, uh, in uh, Elizabeth Shumatov's book, she writes that her husband came to America on a mission from the provincial governor government headed by Alexander Kretzky. She's there alone with FDR painting his portrait. Mm-hmm. She's accompanied by her photographer named Nicholas Robbins. It's not his real name. It's an alias. His naturalization papers are Kubikinsky. Oh, wow. Nicholas Kubikinsky. He's also a defective Russian. All right. So his, his line of names go from Nicholas Kuczynski to Nicholas Cobbins to Nicholas Cobbett to Nicholas Robbins. So here we have two Russians in painting the president, our president, in the biggest war the world has ever seen. One on a mission from, from the provincial government, the other one under alias names. What the hell is Secret Service doing? So what are they doing with our president? It, it's it's incredible. Yeah, really, and, yeah, and a lot of people. 
a lot of people may not remember or, re- or realize that tor- even though the United States and the Soviet Union were allies in defeating Nazi Germany, toward the end of the war especially, they became really bitter rivals. Uh, the the post-World War II world was going to be dominated by those two nations, the United States and the Soviet Union, and each one was looking for an edge over the other, and particularly as they mopped up the spoils of World War II. So it's very, very feasible. And it's, it makes a lot of sense that uh, these types of espionage efforts, and in this case an assassination, uh, was um, part of the plan. For sure. Stalin, <laughs> I, I probably could write an entire book on Stalin. I won't, but I probably could with everything that I've uncovered. Stalin had his eye on the post-war world, for sure. He was, the, you know... FDR and Churchill, they viewed Stalin as the monster that he was. And they were very fearful of what would happen if he got his way. His way was to spread his brand of communism throughout the entire world. He wanted to rule the world. FDR didn't want that. FDR wanted to be a policeman of the world. Everyone would run their hemisphere so this never happened again. Those four policemen were China, the Soviet Union, the United States, and Great Britain. Stalin didn't want to split the world with them. He wanted to rule the world. Big problem. Stalin was probably the greatest megalomaniac in history. Uh, he <laughs> he murdered everyone in the Politburo that uh, stood against him. Um, uh, Lenin's wife, Kropskaya, sorry if I murdered that name, Kropskaya, she used to say that Lenin made notes that... Uh, Comrade Stalin is too rude and too dangerous. Get rid of him. And uh, they used to make fun of him. They used to call him Comrade Filing Card. And Pusher, the great blur, because he was the party secretary. All he did to gain power was mysteriously kill the people who were in front of him Mm -hmm. and memorize what Stalin had mentioned uh, in his memorized Stalin's cases. So he gets married to his first wife. Her name is Cato. He has her poison. He has her poison in 1907 after eight months, 18 months of marriage. All of her death records are destroyed. So he gets married again, and his wife, his second wife, wife number two, starts to become a little bit serious about government. She starts going to universities and learning a few things. She starts questioning Stalin. She ends up dead. Um, Stalin is a Stalin is a doctor. Um, Professor Dmitry Putnoff. He was the doctor for everyone in the culture. He used to massage Stalin every day. Everyone told this doctor secrets. Well, he magically ended up dead. This guy was really, really something. So, we're in Georgia. Everyone is thinking, well, FDR is giving Stalin everything that he wants. They have a common enemy against against uh, Hitler, you know, what, why would anybody possibly want to kill, possibly want to kill FDR? You know, is FDR munching down on Stalin's vodka and caviar? Oops, that's not a good idea for a guy who plays him and, and, and did, the, did, the, uh, did the great purge. You know, he just, it's just yeah. it's incredible, really, how... Trusting and naive, the Secret Service was. And, you know, somehow when they tried to poison Lincoln, that got a little lost with FDR. And the Secret Service was definitely not doing their job. I mean, it's definitely poisoned. So, fast forward to these two Russians. So, guys are present to verify Russian spies. It's not that we can hide it that way, apparently, because that's what the facts say to them. So, he dies in front of those two Russian spies of. Something that no one can figure out. Pretty interesting. 69 hours from death to grave. They couldn't get this guy in the ground. Wow. So, if, but if, if, the, if the, let's, I, I don't know who you point the finger at in your book. You do name 
um, the killers. However, you've you've brought a lot of uh, personalities into this conversation, including these two Russian spies that were with him. And as you said, uh, yeah. FDR's poisoning was happening over a, an extended period of time. But um, if, I mean, were, were, was all of the government involved in this in some fashion? Because why wouldn't there have been a significant effort to autopsy the body and and a little bit of time taken to understand the death. I mean, 69 hours from death to grave, that's record, that's lightning speed. For sure. And they broke the same law that JFK's uh, people fighting over his corpse did. You know, there's a rule that when someone dies in Georgia or Dallas or wherever you die, in Warm Springs, Georgia or Dallas, Texas, mm-hmm. and you're a president, that's autopsied right there. They broke the law to take these bodies without being autopsied or examined back to back to Washington D.C. So, so the, in both cases, they bodies both go to the And how very interesting. So the law, uh, the law, actual there. Steve, the law actually says that if a president dies, the autopsy has to take place in the jurisdiction that he died in, or he or she died in. Absolutely. Wow. If you die in Boise, Idaho, you're not getting Idaho, getting out of Idaho without an autopsy. Without an autopsy. Wow. It's that way for me or you or everybody, and it's because of the spread of disease. Right. I, I talked to one of my forensic pathologists, friends, who I'm not going to mention. Um, and I asked him, I said, look, you know, I do a lot of talking to these types of people and doctors, and I have a whole chain of people I run this stuff by. Every one of them said it's just one thing. So. In the case of FDR and JFK, the law was broken in both circumstances, both very questionable deaths. So, so, fast forward now, 1957. Eleanor Roosevelt, who was not there at Warm Springs, Georgia, when he died, he was there visiting one of his many girlfriends. The press covered up his extramarital affairs, and there were many. She's tired of hearing this. 1957, he's been dead for a while. Yeah, 12 years out. She's tired of the... She's, yeah, for sure. She's tired of the whisperings around Washington. He was he was murdered. He was poisoned. He was murdered. He was poisoned. People inside Washington are whispering, and she's fed up with it. She hires a private investigator. She's going to get to the bottom of this. So he contacts the internals of the government and says, I want all the files. I want all of FDR's medical files. I'm going to have them examined. I want to get to the bottom of this once and forever. It gets to run around. Someone has to break the news to him. FDR's, all of his medical records were stolen from a locked file at Bethesda. <laughs> God! JFK's brain disappears at Bethesda. FDR's medical records disappear at Bethesda. Now, forget everything that I've said up until this point. If you go that far, you've got a conspiracy. That's right. And isn't it interesting that the two people that I write about so far, Elvis Presley and FDR, are both buried on federal ground, and they're both buried under concrete slabs. It's very interesting. You're not getting these answers. Yeah. I need to ask. Until we're at the end of the world. I need to ask you something before we before we move on, because I don't want this point to get lost. Uh, you were talking about communists having infiltrated so many parts of the federal government. You, you listed a whole bunch of departments and positions that had been occupied by communists that at the time it wasn't known. But as we look back, we know um, it wasn't long after uh, FDR's death and the end of World War Two that uh, the McCarthy era begins, where there's this quote-unquote communist scare, and everybody and their uncle is accused of being a communist, and in many ways it's akin to a witch hunt. But it almost sounds to me like there was actually a reason, maybe not to go as far as McCarthy did, but to be concerned about communists having infiltrated parts of American society. Is there a connection there? I think you would be very naive not to think that there was some variety of connection there. And like I said, I don't know, you know, I know about McCarthyism. I know what happened. I know about the Red Scare. I understand all of it. Where there's smoke, there's fire. There had to have been something there for them to deeply investigate all of it. And, of course, if you can't kill the message, you kill the messenger. Yeah. 
you know, this is this is what they do. So they made McCarthy into an alcoholic and a lunatic, and you know, right, right, um, all of these things. What so, about what, what about Truman? Was Truman complicit in any of this, or was he just a vice president who dutif- dutifully filled uh, the role when he had to? Very interesting question. Truman is a random element, and none of the world leaders. He's only been vice president a short time, and this is. This is really an interesting figure in history. He is tasked with the responsibility, after FDR dies, of piecing together this world, the post-war world. That's right. And my personal feeling is if FDR would have lived, it would have saved us 75 years of post-war murder and communism. The Cold War wouldn't wouldn't have existed. I'm sorry, 65 years. You know, so here's here's the world falls in on on uh, Truman, what witty, fiery Harry Truman. So he has to try and get along with Stalin, and they hate each other. They hate each other. So I look at Truman as they didn't respect Truman. He was a they thought he was a political newbie, quote unquote. He was this. You know, uh, little weasel. Stalin didn't like him. He couldn't warm up to him. He wasn't chummy. He wasn't. He wasn't uh, the glad hander that FDR was. So I think that Truman personally was probably in the worst spot in history. I think that at that time the world fell in on him. And as far as the bombs are concerned, Stalin knew all about the bombs and the and the Verona project. He knew all about it. Before we and drop he, them? He knew it before we dropped them? Beyond question. Yeah. I just wanted to jump in again here and tell everybody, it's in, I can tell you how they murdered him and who they murdered and, and all these things. I want you to read the history that's in this book because it's important. Buy the book. Tell your kids. Tell your grandkids. Make sure this history lives on. It's important because we'll repeat it if we forget it. We're one generation away from forgetting that. That's right. So go to whomurderedbooks.com, whomurderedbooks.com. I think my books are $14 or or something like that. And um, don't don't go to Amazon. It's too expensive, and nobody wants to deal with Amazon anyway. So um, they're cheaper on my website. Go there. Order a book. And I'll make sure you get it. And I'll leave an autograph it for you. How's that? And I also give speaking engagements. If you're interested in having me come speak to your university or your classroom, I also talk to aspiring writers. And you know, I'd be happy to do that. Go to my website, fill out the form, click send, and I'll be, I'll be sure and get a hold of you. And my, this is one of my passions, is doing this research like this and crunching this together. But I think what really makes me feel accomplished is passing this information on because it's going to be gone. You know, when this generation is gone, there's not going to be anybody around to tell you these things. We're already, we're already seeing that transformation occur. And it's rather sad as we lose the last of our greatest generation. And I mean, people that lived during or even fought in world war two, uh, there are very few left and, uh, we're going to lose them all here within this generation. Uh, we're also losing the history that went along with that. These are very, very uh, unbelievable times that not only shaped the 20th century, but will shape the centuries to come. And we had a discussion the other night, Steve, about uh, about the Holocaust and the statistics about the number of people that either don't know what the Holocaust was or just or don't believe it occurred is staggering because, you know, again, the, the generations are becoming too far removed. Absolutely. And it's not that far removed for me. My grandfather's two brothers, one was in D-Day and one was wounded in the Battle of St. Lowe. And I, I've got all the stories. And I mean, everybody who fought had a story. That's right. And it's important. It's important. And some of that is in this book as well. So it's important that this live on. At a time, which is nauseating, they're tearing down monuments. They're tearing yep. down statues. Look yep. at No. This needs to stop. Every monument, every statue is there for a reason. It tells a story. If the story was a mistake, yep. then you leave that monument there and you learn from the mistake. I agree. You don't tear down that monument or that statue. It's asinine. You're removing history. Yep. I you agree know? with I you. I mean, agree with you completely. It's sickening what, what's going on right now. 
I mean, if you pull out all of this information out of the history books and you tear down all the statues, you don't think this is going to be repeated in 100 years? Yeah. They're not going to have the weapons. You know, I really don't want anybody to go through the Holocaust again. I don't want to go through another world war again. And it's, it's, it's criminal, really, of what's going on. And um, it, it's going to happen again because these fools are out there butchering history because they find some problem with it. It's there for a reason not to repeat it. Some monuments are great. It, it speaks out accomplishments. Some of them speak out mistakes. But it's there for a reason, just like the history books. You know, I, I did a thing the other night. I was on a show, and I'm on shows a lot. I was on, I was on a show, and I said, I'll give everyone a free book, an autographed and numbered book, if they can name me one person who signed the Declaration of Independence. <laughs> Woman called in. She said Franklin Roosevelt. Oh, my God. I, I, can't, I couldn't make this up. Wow. You know what? I sent her a book anyway. I sent her a book anyway. Yeah, she dared really to call. Did. Yeah, she dared to call. <laughs> wow. She that... really thought she was bright. Another one said Abraham wow. Lincoln. Oh, my God. This is, I mean, this this is scary this is, stuff. This is... It's incredible that this is happening. So when this picture is being forgotten, so when someone like me, who I wouldn't, I wouldn't call myself a historian, I just think I dig into history and I find fascinating things. And... Um, Someone like me who is, comes out and says, FDR died mysteriously. It was not as we were told. We have definitely been lied to. History is telling the tale. The facts are coming out. They look at me like I've got two heads. You know, I mean, it's interesting the next generation is more involved in escapism than reality. Yeah. I'm... They're more involved in their video games and their cartoons and their tattoos, which is all escapism. They don't want to deal with reality. I don't know why. I don't know if they're afraid to. I mean, I'm not to say that all is. I can't paint them with a wide brush. There's some people I was speaking the other night, um, and somebody invited me to speak, and they were young people, and they were fabulous. They sat there, and they listened to this, and you know, I mean, their eyes were just a twinkle, and I was just so happy because this needs to live on. Otherwise, the people who bled the ground red and who are buried over in France, yep. they died for no reason. Criminal. Yeah, it is. It is. And I think we're also seeing a a macro experiment in how history repeats itself. We're watching in front of our eyes people lose sight of the lessons that were learned um, as the generations follow. And you can see how the mistakes will be repeated. But let's let's hope that people like you, Steve, continue to deliver this message and these messages and tell these stories and we'll get through this. I have to ask you, Bill, before before I have to let you go here um, and try to end on a bit of a, a, a more comical note. Have you seen the film The Death of Stalin? I have not. I have not. It's on my my list, though. I don't know if it's a Netflix original or not, but I watched it on Netflix, and I it's 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 rather it's a very well done movie. It's it's a comedy for the most part, but also tells a story, and it also points out the um, the I don't know fallacies is the is the right word, but certainly the faults or the the the. disadvantages of that system as people scramble to position themselves for power on the death of a leader like that. But it is, it's very, very funny, Steve. So if you have it on your list, I'd move it up a few slots on that list and watch it based on what we just talked about, because I can tell you'd get a real kick out of it. Well, I'll tell you what, I've got three books to write in the next two years. I won't be watching much of anything. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. I, I want to go back to your, before I let you go, I want to go back to your books again, just to, again, tell people. We've got the Who Murdered Elvis, which is has has two editions, right? Is it a Part A and a Part B, or is it a Part A and an expanded Part B? It's a Part A, and then it's a five-year anniversary. Okay. So the five-year anniversary has things in it the first one doesn't have. The first one has things in it the other one doesn't have. Gotcha. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, Tesla will come out next year. Um, who murdered Diana? I'm taking pre-orders for right now. Okay. So go to my website if you want that book. The pre-orders will all be autographed and numbered. They're the only ones that are going to be autographed and numbered, and I'll number them in order of the people who have placed orders. And well, I'll tell you what, people are pre-ordering that book like you wouldn't believe. That's great. Well, because that's... 
that's a global phenomenon. You know, I, I suppose these others are as well, but there's something about Princess Diana that uh, captures people that wouldn't consider themselves historians. Yeah, she was just, she was perfect. She was classy. She was sweet. She was cute. She had this electric blue eyes and this blonde plume of hair, and she was so statuesque, and she was so regal. And, of course, we don't know what to do with pretty things. We have to kill them, right? Butterfly wings, we have to touch them, mm-hmm. and that's the end of the butterfly. Yeah. This is what we do with things that are beautiful and special, and we've done it time and time again. So, so by my count, you've got three books scheduled for release, so we should be able to get you back on this program three more times at least. Well, I'll tell you, it's always a, it's always a pleasure to come on a show where I can really delve into things. You know, I mean, sometimes I get asked on a show and say, okay, Steve, you got a half an hour. What am I going to do in a half an hour? <laughs> right, exactly. And I was on Coast to Coast with this. I was on for three and a half hours. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what am I going to do in a half an hour, you know? So it's always nice to be on a show where, you know, I have someone who, you know, is fascinated with the same things that, that I am, you know, like yourself. Uh, follow my book series. Go look me up on Facebook. You can go to these pages on Facebook. You can go to Who Murdered Elvis on Facebook, Who Murdered SDR. I have Facebook pages for all of my books. You can link to them on the website. And if you want to connect with me on Facebook, um, it's Stephen Ubaney, S-T-E-P-H-E-N. I'm on Facebook, and I can tell you about book releases and other interviews and, and things like that. But I can tell everyone, from here to eternity, Elvis Presley was murdered. And I have the documents to prove it, and FDR was murdered, and I have the facts and the documents to prove that as well. And Princess Diana is next, and I'm going to rock the world. Well, it's going to be a very interesting show. And you know what, J.D., you're going to have to give me your contact information because I want to send you the, the I send you the Elvis book. I want to send you the FDR book as well. That'd be terrific. I'll make sure you get that. And, and Steve, thanks for the work you're doing. Uh, it's important, as you said, to tell these stories and make sure people – uh, keep them in at least uh, in part of their minds, if not in the front of their minds, because this this stuff is important stuff. And if we forget it, we're gonna we're gonna repeat it. Society needs these works. You know, these works. Every word that is written is a little soldier against the war um, uh, uh, against the war of ignorance. You have to write these words. You have to get them out there. You know, it's your duty. You got to do it. Yeah, very important point, Stephen. Thanks so much for being here. Always a pleasure. Look forward to having you back. J.D., always a pleasure. I will always do your show. Beyond Reality Paranormal is hosted by J.V. Johnson and produced by Orion Palmer and Slick Eddie Edwards. Like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Please consider supporting the program either through your podcast platform, click on the link in the description, or on Patreon at Joha Productions. If you'd like to be a guest on Beyond Reality Paranormal or you have a recommendation for a guest, contact our producer, Slick Eddie Edwards. Eddie is spelled with a Y at slickeddieedwards at gmail.com.